It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. With Rick Broering, each week we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. Hmm, maybe we have one of those. It's kind of local and kind of national at the same time coming up. We've got a gambling segment where I'm sure I've been lousy of late. And we got a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Use the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, before we get started, I, I did have a... I was talking to my guy, Taryn Bland, from uh, from ESPN 1530 yesterday. I was waiting to go on with Mo Egger, and he was asking me about Christmas shopping and Christmas gifts. And I said, listen, man, I, I'm an empty nester. It's just not a big thing in my house you know, anymore for the most part. We'll give a, each other a little something, but you know, nothing major. And he said, what do you think about gift cards? And I said, yeah, I'm good with gift cards. I said, you really can't go wrong. I said, whoever gets mad at a gift card? And I said, besides, if you get one you don't like, then you just re-gift that card yourself. I mean, where do you, where do you stand on gift cards? Oh, I'm a big gift card guy. Yeah, okay. You know where I stand okay. on Christmas, though. We've talked about this before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Christmas. <laughs> Beep. Uh, all right. Let's 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 jump right into it. Urban Meyer is out as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Skinny, the news broke in the middle of the night before we did this podcast. He finishes his tenure in Jacksonville with a record of two and 11. And I have a few questions to ask you about this. Sure. Starting with, is this the worst NFL head coaching tenure ever? Lou Holtz's was pretty bad. Lou Holtz went from North Carolina State to the New York Jets back in 1975, I believe it was. I think Lou went 3-11 and 11 in his one-year stint and got canned and then went back to the college ranks and had success. But it was he was kind of an obscure guy who'd done some things at, at um, William and & Mary and then at NC State, and suddenly he's the head coach of the New York Jets. And that didn't work so well. Bobby Petrino, remember that stint, 3-10, and 10, um, just basically quit on his team at the last second and it led to the famous Mike Zimmer quote of, Blank that guy. You can print that in the Central Arkansas Gazette. <laughs> he, he, how much he hated Bobby Petrino because he was the defensive coordinator there. Uh, but this certainly ranks up there as among the, the worst of all time. Yes. Do you think he intentionally tried to get fired at some point? Do you think you know, this was he, a ruse to just get a big payday? Well, you know, it's funny about that. Um, the night that they came here to play the Bengals, or the week they came here to play the Bengals, um, I made that point to some colleagues. I said, honestly, if I didn't know better, it feels like he's trying to get fired so he can get a big college job when they come open. Um, this was back in September um, and still get a payday out of it. That, that's what it felt like all along to me that he was trying to get fired. Um, you know, that, that story that came out over the weekend about where he called his assistant coaches losers and I'm a winner. I think I know where that story came from. I'm going to refrain from saying where I think that story came from, but there's also a part of me that wonders if, my, if, if Urban didn't plant that story. Um, and then, and then, and, I mean, honestly, it, I love I, that. It, it really feels like he did. Now, obviously he didn't plant the story of, of kicking the kicker. Uh, but that was just kind of put it, that just kind of put it over the edge. I was like the last, maybe that was him calling up and go, Hey Josh, why don't you call them, call them and call the media and tell them I kicked you. I mean, I, I'll, I'll take the fall for that. I, I, I love the quote he, the kicker gave too. He told me, why don't you go make some kicks today? You dipshit. That's just incredible to me. I mean, incredible. I mean, it, it, I, it, yeah, it couldn't have gone any worse for him, but it did. It felt like once he got into this and he realized no matter how good of a coach he is, and I think we'll agree from a college perspective, he's a great football coach. No one's going to deny that part of it. Um, that I think he thought, like a lot of people do, I'll coach my way out of this. I'll, yep. I'll make us competitive. We'll win because of me. And then you come to realize 
in this league, man, yeah, coaching can make a difference. There's no question. But you better have players. And they don't have players. And it's going to take some time. And he just was never going to have the patience to to wait that out. And I think he realized that very quickly into it of, oh, no, I'm going to lose a whole lot of games. And it's going to be embarrassing for me. When in retrospect, you just go, no, hey, Jimmy Johnson went 1-15 in in his first year with the, with the Dallas Cowboys. And Jimmy Johnson sucked it up, made a bunch of good uh, personnel decisions, rebuilt that roster quickly, and voila, Jimmy Johnson is now regarded as one of the greatest football coaches on any level, college or pro, or both if you want to combine them, of all time because of what he did. But he also understood, I just need to have some patience. I'm going to rebuild the roster. I'm going to rebuild it my way. I'm going to coach my way, and we're going to win games. And, and Urban never was going to have that patience for it. It just wasn't part of his makeup. I mean, the guy the guy wigged out when they went 8-5 and five at Florida, right? That, that's when he quit the uh, health reasons. No, you just couldn't handle the fact that you went a, a, a mediocre at Florida at the time, 8-5. and five. Although Now looking back at it, those seem to be the salad days at Florida because they're terrible anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he just was never going to have the patience for it, Rick. So I, I will go back to, your, to answer your initial question. I do think he he orchestrated his own firing to a large degree. That's so good. I mean, you go back to when he first got the job and he immediately hires Chris Doyle, right? University of Iowa strength coach who had been in trouble for making racist comments to players. It's like, what are you thinking? Like, why would you even go that direction as a new NFL head coach who's trying to turn around an organization like that? I have a friend in coaching, not in football, but he always tells me, watch out for those coaches who are obsessed with their culture that always want to talk about their culture. He's like, I'm not saying it's bad to have good guys in your locker room and things like that. I'm just saying the guys who always talk about culture are the guys who think they're bigger than the sport, that they, they think they can win over any situation and it's about them. Urban Meyer is 100% one of these types of people. Oh yeah. He thought he was going to be bigger than the sport and turn around Jacksonville because he's so great. And then he got there and he realized these grown millionaires are laughing at him essentially. And I don't think he could tolerate that because he takes himself very seriously. No question. I, I think all of that is all of that is true. And, and I think you're now getting to that point of how many more times do you test the college ranks to, to go get a coach? And, and that kind of sucks because I, I, I'm a big believer. I think Luke Fickle would be a great NFL head coach, in my opinion, because I don't think he has ego. I do think that, that he knows how to handle grown men. I do think that he is a great delegator, but. Guys like that, I, I think if I'm an NFL franchise, I'm sorry. I got to go to somebody that's been through the league, that's cut their teeth in the league, that's going to get a little bit of respect of players because they've done some things in the league. Um, I, I mean, I, there's just, it seems like, it, the, name the, you just tick off the college coaches that have tried this of late. And I mentioned Lou Holtz tried it back in the 70s. And then Petrino and Steve Spurrier, as great of a coach as he is and was. Um, and Steve actually had some NFL chops as a player because he played for, you know, decade plus in the league with the with the 49ers and with the Tampa Bay Bucks. So he had some some NFL chops. Might have even coached a year um, before he went into the college ranks or two in, in the NFL. And that, that didn't work. Um, so it feels like this was like the last straw for a college coach getting an opportunity to be an NFL head coach just because – they don't control what they they think they used to control in the, in the college ranks. They just don't. Is there a, another good example? I'm trying to think. You mentioned Jimmy Johnson. Obviously, there's Pete Carroll, which is probably the most notable but, one. But, but Pete Carroll also had been an NFL head coach before he went to USC. So right. he had gone through that before. Right. Is there another really good Saban. example? Saban. Okay. Um, of, a, of a good Hart- or a bad? Well, yeah, good. A good, oh, yeah, because Saban was not a that, that didn't work out very well for him in Miami either. No, uh, um, Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, I guess. But Jim Harbaugh was an NFL head coach. Yeah, 
I mean, there's just not, you're right. There's not many good examples of it working out. And I do think that the issue you really have is that trust factor, that respect factor from NFL millionaires who don't want to be coached well, like yeah. they're in college. And I, yeah, and I'll go back to Harbaugh. I'm sorry, I, I messed the timeline up because he was at Stanford, then then the NFL, then back to college with Michigan. But Jim also played in the league as a quarterback for 10-plus years. So, right. again, you got the respect factor. Of he's This dude's been through the league. He knows how to be coached, and he can do it. And um, So I, I think there was that as well. Let me ask you another question about this related to the college stuff. How soon will Urban be back in the college game? Next year or depending on how this separation agreement works um, from a financial perspective. I mean, honestly, if he's getting all of his money from this this contract, um, you know, maybe he just goes and works as an analyst for three years and then gets back in in three years. But I think if he wants to and the finances work out properly, I can see as early as next year he's back in the college ranks. And truth be told, I, I go back to, there's a big part of me that thinks he tried to orchestrate this far earlier than this because of when these college jobs started to become open. He's, oh, probably I, got, he's probably got buyer's remorse at the moment that it didn't happen sooner so he could have taken the USC job. I guarantee you he did. Now, the way this all played out, it would probably be tough to bring him in right now. He probably wouldn't be a lot of those higher-up jobs, top options, but like if Miami was still looking for a coach or Oregon or UCLA, like one of those second-tier type places, I don't know that USC would have taken him. I don't know that Notre Dame would have taken him at this point. But one of those other places, oh, yeah, they they definitely would have taken a swing with Urban Meyer. Do you think this has an impact on Luke Fickle and UC fans at all? Um, I guess I would ask you in what way? Well, I think you could go a few different ways with that. One, the first one that I'd start with that's obvious for right now is Ryan Day isn't going to Jacksonville. So the first the first NFL head coaching job that uh, opened up for you. I know Jacksonville isn't taking their chances with another Ohio State head coach. So you can you can cross that off the list of Ryan Day potentially getting that job and Luke then wanting the Ohio State job. And he came out a couple days or yesterday and said that that the whole thing with him to the NFL is is a bunch of nonsense and a bunch of noise, which then always. Well, no, I was going to say, which then always makes me go, uh, well, that who who offered you money? Yeah. Yeah. The exact opposite, because that whole Chicago Bears thing seems like it's 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 more real. Um, so yeah, I, no, I, I, I guess I'll go back to in what way? Well, then the next thing is you have to imagine the next big job that comes open likely next year. I don't think Luke Fickle's going anywhere right now. Obviously urban Meyer is going to be in the ring for that job. I mean, it's going to be another option for any top college job that opens up aside from Luke Fickle. Who's, who's the better get a year from now? Is it urban Meyer or Luke Fickle? uh, I was gonna say I was gonna say before you even asked the question, I was gonna say I think Luke Fickle's a better get. I don't um, disagree with that. I would rather I, have him. There's way less baggage. Yes, I think I think Urban with the whole thing that took place over the after the Bengals game up in Columbus, um, the you know, just the way this ended, the fact that he allegedly um kicked a player. I mean, that that's not good. I mean, what have you heard from about Luke Fickle other than good oh. things? I mean, really. Well, and even going back to Ohio State, you have the text message stuff, the stuff yep. Shelly got I mean, there was a lot of nonsense following Urban Meyer everywhere he's gone. And this Jacksonville, I mean, we're talking about him kicking the kicker. That's like probably the fifth most egregious thing he did <laughs> while he was at Jacksonville. Uh, there's a long list of things here to go down of different transgressions that Urban had and you know, the the one in his shop house or steakhouse or whatever it was is phenomenal. I mean, that's just I love the idea of him canceling the meetings on Monday. So his players respect him even less than they already did. 
Then you go in on Tuesday to have your team meetings. You meet with them individually, and the players apparently just laughed him out of the room. Yeah, that's that's when you know it's 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 night night. All right, who has this? Was an ask any anything question I got last night right after this happened from someone, and I'll ask it right now because it's about the subject. Who has a power five job first, Urban Meyer or Rick Pitino? I'll go over Urban Meyer. I, I, for, there's a part of me that thinks that Rick, this is the perfect place for him to call it a career of just, hey, to prove to everybody I can still coach, which he's already done at Iona, and just kind of enjoy yourself. Got more. He's got plenty of money. Um, yeah, it, I guess a power five could come back along for him, but there's just a part of me that feels like this This feels like a perfect sunset job for him. He's coaching in, in, in New York. Um, pressure's off of him, but at the same time, he's grinding wins. I mean, they go to the NCAA tournament last year. He beats Alabama this year. I mean, the guy can flat coach. And to me, I think for him, maybe this is just the perfect scenario. So I'll, I'll, I'll go Urban Meyer because I do think a power five job of some sort will come open next year. It always does. And maybe multiple. And I think Urban Meyer gets called just because people, that's just the way we are. That's just the way, that's just the way college football is. College sports are. I totally agree it's, with you. It's, it's, a, it's a good question, but I, I think I really believe Rick Pitino's comfortable where he's at right now. This is the perfect place to coach out the rest of your career, however long that may be. Rick Pitino has given us zero reason to believe him or trust him that he's telling us the truth. But I, for some reason, kind of believe him that he wants to stay at Iona, at least for a little while. I think he's genuinely trying to build that program. I mean, they've they've already been good in the past. They've had their peaks and valleys over the last 10, 20 years, but they've had great moments, but he's trying to establish them as a, a mid-major power again, and he can do great things there. He's already showing that. I think he's enjoying this. I think he gets a kick out of scheduling high major opponents in their gyms and going in and knocking them off and then making a, a potential run in the tournament eventually. So I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think He's going anywhere. Uh, you could throw Fickle in there, too. Obviously, there's a hard stop date on 2024 for that. I assume Urban will be back before 2024, so I still would say I, Urban. Yeah, I, I assume that, too, and I'm, I'm going to go with Urban on that. I, 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 you know, Baggage, no baggage, all those things. He has a proven track record at the college level, and there's just there's a coaching staff, or excuse me, a college athletic director or five. When that job comes open, they're going to call Urban Meyer. At the Power Five, it's just going to happen. You know it's going to happen. It doesn't feel like there's an obvious place yet that would make sense because we're likely talking about at least a year from now. But do you have one in mind? Um, I, I, I don't. I mean, how much longer does Kirk Ferentz do it at Iowa? I mean, it feels like he's got a lifetime contract and all they do is go nine and three or eight and four every year. Um, but um, I don't. I mean, you know, Michigan State's not going to come open for a while because Cat's got his Mel Tucker's got his guaranteed ninety-five mil. Is this um, how Nebraska gets back on track next year? Yeah, maybe. That's that's not. That a would bad, be an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Although I'll be honest with you, I think it, we're we're now recycling through coaches at Nebraska to the point where you just go, they're just never going to be what they used to be. They just never are. It just isn't going to happen. I think um, they. I think they feel the same way, I, which is why I could almost see them making this play of like. Last ditch effort. Yeah. Let's no, no, go you're get right. Urban. He'll at least restore us. We'll let him kick our players. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to tell. I think your Nebraska takes a good one, Rick. Um, I mean, what if Harbs, what if, what if Jim Harbaugh, what if he decides to go back to the NFL that, Hey, I restored Michigan. It's never going to get better than this. I got us back to, I got us to the playoff. What if he decides to go back to the NFL? Wouldn't that be an interesting one? 
it would. I don't necessarily see that happening. But. I, I, I don't. I don't either. But if he's got that personality, almost of you guys stop believing in me, and I finally restored you or us because he's a Michigan man. And yeah, you know what? F you now. Yep, exactly. That would be kind of funny. I'll give you that. From a Michigan perspective, it's funny for him to do that. I just don't know if that's. I don't know if NFL teams would want him. To be honest, it just doesn't seem like. Anyone's going to be excited about hiring him at this point, even after what he just did this year. No, understood, understood, understood. Um, yeah, it's so hard for me to, to to look at the landscape. I mean, would I have ever believed Lincoln Riley was going to USC at this right. time last year? No. Would I believe? Would I believe that that Brian Kelly of all people was going to go to LSU at this time last year? Which can we just for one second talk about how bizarre that whole situation is right now? It seems like he's becoming more of a caricature of a human than he already was. He really is, man. Did you see that thing with the quarterback where he's like dancing the, the I did. announcement? I, I did. What what are you doing? Dude? What what the hell was that? I don't know. Was, I mean, but it, that's obviously like he's that, you know, that on is, the joke at that point, right? That can't be real. He's not doing that like, oh, this is gonna be cool and I'm gonna look awesome. It's the Irish Cajun jig. He just made up his own dance. That is what he was doing. Uh, it's also the uh, 80-year-old at the wedding. Right. Irish right, Cajun that's right. jig. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't have looked older in that. No, that was, that that was, was so weird. All right, let's 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 move on. The Bengals play the Broncos this Sunday at 4.05 p.m. After back-to-back losses, they have dropped to 7-6. and six. Skinny, I'll ask you this. After the last two games, do you feel better? worse or the same about the Bengals playoff chances I feel the same I still think they're a playoff caliber team and, and here's why and I'm writing this column today I, I gotta figure out how I want to structure it um because I don't have a ton of quotes to work around it but that's fine it's a column I've got a couple to use but but really if you look at the last two losses and if you can go back to the Cleveland loss a lot of it was self-inflicted man um, you know, Joe Burrow throwing a pick six at the goal line early in the Cleveland game gets him behind. And, you know, uh, uh, Joe Mixon fumbling, who never fumbles in the Chargers game um, when it looked like they were going to come make the make their biggest comeback in, in team history and really on the cusp of doing so early fourth quarter. This game, the two muff punts, um, Jesse Bates dropping an interception that was at the very least going to get you in field goal range at the end there. If not, it was going to take it to the house for a game winning pick six, um, you know. The Zach Taylor play calling, I can argue, is self-inflicted. I don't think it's, I don't think it's completely personnel related. Like, I don't believe the Chargers are a better team. I think if the two teams played ten times, Bengals go six and four-ish. Um, I don't think San Francisco is a better team. And, and so, when I look at those things, I, it's it's not where I go, boy, the Bengals are so deficient in all of these areas. Yeah, they're deficient in some, and yeah, the offensive line is having a hard time holding up in pass protection a little bit right now. Um, but for the most part. Most of their issues are self-inflicted. Stop with the self-inflicted, and I think they're fine. Now, I don't think they're good enough to beat Kansas City, but I do think they're good enough to win this game. I do think they're good enough to beat Baltimore, and I do think they're good enough to go win at Cleveland. And you do that, I think you win the division. Even listening to you just now going through those self-inflicted losses, and you think back to the Bears game, the Packers right, game. Right, right, right. The, the, uh, game and yeah, then, the Jets, and the Jets, the, Jets. And the, the, the Jets game. And that was kind of self-inflicted because Burrow throws a, a ball that they thought they had a screen for a touchdown on. They got tipped by a defender and intercepted. Did that really turn that thing around? Right. But, I mean, you, you look back at all of these games that would have, should have, could have type games. And are we just back at the same point where is it the, the Zach Taylor and one score? loss stat situation you know everyone was talking about that before this year where 
the Bengals are 0-7 and one-score games under Zach Taylor and all that stuff. Are we still at that point just with a more talented team? Can they just not win close games and make the important plays and not shoot themselves in the foot when it matters? But but I listen, I, I'm going to pin the, the end of overtime on Zach Taylor for sure. There's no question the play calling came into question. He took the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands, and we talked about that extensively on the on the postgame podcast. Right. And, and you can argue that Darren Simmons should have never put Darius Phillips back there a second time. But I'm going to excuse the first one. But the first one led to points, too. But did 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 Zach Taylor taunt the player that cost you four points? Did Zach Taylor drop an interception that should have been a touchdown? Did Zach Taylor throw an interception at the goal line that should have never been thrown against uh, Cleveland that, that that Joe Burrow threw? And that's where I think these guys did 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 Zach Taylor fumble? And it turns out to be a guy who never fumbled. I mean, some of this stuff is is I don't want to call it fluky, but some of it is a little bit bad luck and fluky. You know, Jesse Bates actually is a is is pretty good at catching the football, and he just dropped it, and I can't explain it. I can't explain Joe Mixon fumbling it for a guy that doesn't fumble the football. I, I can explain some coaching decisions, and I can point the finger for sure at some of those coaching decisions. But some of this is, and I'm a big believer that some of it is just luck is weird, man. And eventually that stuff starts to even itself out. And so maybe it's time for some of the fluke to even itself out. The fluky the fluky turnovers, the, the fluky dropped interception, the fluky fumble um, by Joe Mixon. I, I think you're kind of, and, and it, then it's up to Joe Burrow to, as he's talked about, you know, the ones that he can control, you can control those and, and don't throw interceptions where you can control that cir- circumstance. So I think a lot of it is just self-inflicted. Take that out of the mix. They are still good enough to make the playoffs. I, You know, will they? I don't know, but I think they're certainly good enough. I don't think it's a matter of talent. I don't even think it's a matter of coaching. It's a matter of stop shooting yourself in the foot. And 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 if you do that, I think you're good enough to win these games. I agree with that for the most part. And I definitely think this team is talented enough to make the postseason. I would say the last two games have made me feel worse about the Bengals playoff chances just because uh, let's face it. You go back a couple weeks ago when they're sitting at seven and four and you're thinking, or even before that you're thinking, you know, four weeks ago, this team is likely going to be making the playoffs, especially after a win over the Raiders you're sitting here now and it's very much in question. So it's hard for me. And look, you lose back-to-back games. You could very easily lose all of the next four yes, games. Yes, None yes, of them yes, are yes, easy yes, games by any stretch of the imagination. You're the right. Broncos are a little up and down, but they're playing pretty well. The Chiefs are a buzzsaw right now. So you've got two division games against the Ravens and the Browns. The Ravens are at home. The Browns are on the road. A lot of it will come down to that, but yeah, I mean, it's easy to just say, stop shooting yourselves in the foot. But when it's a team that's been doing it all year and they've never really proven the ability to not do that through the last few years, uh, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, the, the, but, the, but the last few years, the roster sucked. I mean, it just sucked. It doesn't suck any longer. That's sure. The, the but, roster was terrible. Last but Zach few Taylor's years. still that guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't just say it didn't happen. I agree with you that this is a different team, but we're still seeing some of those same things happen. So until they prove that they're not going to do that down the stretch of games or when they have a one score but, game, you can't just absolve everything. No, I'm not absolved, but that's where I go back to when you asked the question of, 
Um, I feel about the same. I think this team is good enough to make the playoffs. I don't think that they're overmatched in many games. I think oh, I they were overmatched by Aaron Rodgers. They were overmatched by George Kittle, but they're not overmatched, you know, on either side of the football any longer. So that to me, if yeah, I, I still feel the same. I think this team is good enough to make the playoffs, but you got to stop shooting yourself in the foot. And that that part is correctable. That's the part for me that that can be corrected. You can't correct the fact that you have you know bad personnel across the board. You can correct this stuff, and I, you know, now you just got to go do it. I agree with that. We're on the same page with: Are they good enough to be in the playoffs this year? Are they? Do they have the talent of a playoff level team? Yes, they do. But I would still say I feel worse about their playoff chances after losing the last two games, just because of how math works. If nothing yeah, else, well, I'm with you on the math part, but here's the other math part, and this is conceivable because of all the goofiness that's happening in Cleveland and the goofiness is happening with, you know, Lamar Jackson's ankle and how much, you know, effective he can be. And the fact they're not playing very well either, you know, you've, you've got again, the potential this week with a win and a Baltimore loss and Cleveland losing, you're back in first place in the AFC North. Just, I mean, just like that poof, despite all the goofy stuff that's happened in the last two weeks within this week, you can look up and go, First place in the AFC North. Flip it real quick. Yeah. That's the great thing. We've talked about that a lot. There aren't really dominant teams, and even the teams that have started to separate a little bit, that ain't the AFC North right now for the Bengals. They're still very much right in the mix. So uh, it, you know, everything is still ahead of them, but they, they've got to figure it out. They've got to win I, a I close game. I've never seen a year in the NFL in my lifetime, and, and maybe it's just the addition of that extra wild card team maybe that's done it. But my lands, I was looking even at the NFC today. If you'd have told me last week that that Atlanta and the Saints and Washington, well, Washington was right, but Atlanta, the Saints, and the Vikings all looked like they were left for dead. They're all tied for the, you know, those tiebreakers that separated, however you wanted to do it. But technically, from a record standpoint, five teams in the AFC, in the NFC tied at six and seven for the last wild card spot. In the AFC, then you got all those seven and sixes, and it feels like they're all playing important games every week. I mean, I can't imagine what that last week of the NFL. Usually, that last week is Sidham week, right across the league. Where not this year, not this year, man. There's too much at stake from seeding perspective and and playoff perspective. Anything else to update on the Bengal side of things? Any injury news? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the Trey Wayne situation is trending in the right direction. Um, I'll buy Zach's excuse of why they didn't activate him last week, that they were afraid that if, you know, a corner went down and he would have to play and he wasn't maybe quite ready to play a ton of snaps, that he'd have to play a ton of snaps. And then if he gets hurt, then, you know, boy, it would have really been nice to have a fully healthy corner up. I'll give you a little bit of that. I mean, some of this feels like it's trending in the A.J. Green, Geno Atkins, I don't want to play territory. Um, but I'll give benefit of the doubt and I'll, I'll buy that answer for, for last week. Um, but this week he was out there practicing on, on Wednesday, at least in the, in the portion that we saw, um, doing some drill stuff. I, I think the fact that Darius Phillips went on IR, I think freeze that roster spot up to get Trey Wayne's activated. So I, I, I think he'll be activated. That's a good thing. Um, you know, Burroughs pinky, he played, uh, I mean, if you, if you didn't know he was hurt, it sure didn't look like he was hurt this past week. And now another week has passed and he says he's feeling fine with it. They, they gave him Wednesday off, which makes sense. They're just trying to, 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 you know, monitor that doesn't look like Riley reef's going to play. Um, and that that's not good news, but, um, you know, they've played a game with Isaiah Prince and he had to play some snaps this last game. And I think other than that, you know, some guys that are ill, but I, you know, those guys will probably Trey Hopkins being one of them. Um, he'll, he'll probably be back. Sounded good on the Trey Hendrickson front that, um, they're going to kind of hold him out early in the week, but they feel, he feels optimistic he'll play. So for the most part, yeah, I mean, other than Logan Wilson and Riley reef, 
you pretty much got the, the guys that you would have penciled into the lineup when the season began. All right, time for our trip around the region to check on the local college basketball teams. Skinny, we'll start with the Crosstown shootout that happened this last weekend. Were you more impressed with Xavier or more concerned by UC? More impressed with Xavier. Uh, UC is what, what we think they are. They're just a, they're they're just not going to score much, and and it, it is what it is. But I, I think the fact that Xavier continues to show multiple weapons and and Nunji's just been a great surprise to me. I I, I thought he'd be a nice, serviceable guy. He's turning into an offensive weapon, man. Um, and you've already got some offensive weapons, and so his emergence is a weapon. Getting Fremantle back, all those guards. Um, the fact that I thought they'd have a bit of a letdown against Moorhead too, just because of human nature. And they went out and kicked their ass. Listen, it's Moorhead. I get that, but human nature is human nature, right? I mean, you just came off your rival game, conference games, conference games are lying ahead. This is your last, uh, your last, uh, non-conference game. And it's, I th- I'm going to guess it's probably finals week or they just got out of finals week, one or the other. However, that worked out for, for Xavier. Um, so that impressed me too. No, I was way more impressed with Xavier than disappointed um, in, in UC. I just, it, my, my level for UC is they're still going to win more games than they lose. I still think they're going to make a nice run in the American Athletic Conference, but you know, they're, they're not there yet from a roster standpoint. See, that's where I, I that, that last part you said where they're still going to win a lot of games in the American Athletic Conference. That's where, I kind of changed my opinion on UC after this game because watching that game on Saturday, I I had the thought and I'd I'd be curious to hear what you think about this. I don't know if those two teams played 10 times on a neutral court, if UC could win any of them. It feels like it would take... They wouldn't be within double figures in any of them, in my opinion. It would take a total fluke game. I mean, they would have to throw in 50% from three, I think, and Xavier would have to be pulled. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's all it feels like it would be take almost a miracle. I have never, ever in my entire lifetime thought that about these two teams in the same year, that one would beat the other 10 out of 10 times. It, it seems crazy to me to say that about. This I don't know. Time. I don't know if it was you. I was talking to or a friend of mine on this. I mean, if you took I'm, I can't remember who asked me this. Question. I don't think it was you that asked me. Somebody else asked me this question of if you put together a 12 player roster between the UC roster and the Xavier roster, how many UC players would make it? And I said two. David DeJulius and, and Jeremiah Davenport and Jeremiah May, Davenport. I don't, I don't know that he makes it. Maybe I mean, if not. You have 12, if you have 12, yeah. But I mean, like if we're going top nine, 10, I don't oh, yeah, think no, he no, no. He, he He said 12. He gave me 12 as the answer. And I said, yeah, those two guys. Yeah. And I, I think that's it. So, but, yeah. I, but, but, but listen, uh, dude, this savior roster is really good. I think the biggest question was how was Travis Steele going to fit it all together? Um, you know, we, we kind of, we saw this song and dance before earlier in the season, right? Of this feels like last year. Well, suddenly it doesn't any longer. And yeah, you know what? Now the Iowa state game looks like more of an aberration and illness occurred. I'm not yeah. looking for an excuse. I'm just telling you, it looks more of an aberration than anything else. And who well, knows? And by they, the way, they, Iowa state's pretty damn good all of a sudden. Yes, and, that, and that's what, and that's turned out. <laughs> yeah. That's turned out to be the fact as well. Um, you know, and, and maybe it took gutting one out against Virginia tech to kind of turn the corner of not letting things slip to a bad extent. And, and they didn't. And now you look up and they get out of, out of the non-con with the one loss. And now um, the sky's the limit, especially when you looked at Villanova not being able to score for a month of Sundays against Baylor. Now, I know it's Baylor, but, you know, that doesn't happen to any good Villanova team. So suddenly I think the sky's the limit for Xavier, to be quite frank. Yeah, Villanova and I, is and I, susceptible and I, this year. Yeah, and that's where I go back to, I just know what UC is. I, I just, I, I I know what they are. And, I, and when I look in the American, yeah, I think Houston's great. Uh, and now now when I start to look, I think they've completely separated themselves. 
Memphis is the interesting one. They got a nice get right win over Alabama. Um, and, and maybe that kind of sparks them after they really were a, a, an utter disappointment and, and had been in the non-con. But for the most part, the rest of the league, meh. Yeah, man, I, I think you see competes just fine in the league. That's right. The the league is terrible, but going into it, I thought, oh, UC is way underrated being picked what was a sixth or seventh in the preseason AAC. That seems crazy to me. Watching them in person and seeing here's the thing that shocked me, Skinny. All, to start the year, I thought, especially going back to the Illinois game, I'm thinking, yeah, this team can't score, but man, they can really play hard and defend and get after you and be a tough team. They looked soft against Xavier. Jack Nungy killed their front court. They have three big men with all high major size, and not one of them were even close to having an answer for Jack Nungy inside. And they that, part's, that part's fair. That, that part's fair because that's that the part caught that me I off thought, guard. Yeah, that, the part I thought you could hang your hat on for sure was, and I think I've said this, they're going to win some games 58-54. They have no business winning, and they're going to lose some games 58-54. They have no business losing. And now I change my tune a little bit on that part of it to where, yeah, they didn't exactly challenge Xavier at all in that game defensively. Um, I, I thought that game would end up something like 71-57, but certainly not Xavier getting to the 80s. And some of it was, it felt like, you know, UC's trying to play catch up, and then you gamble more and all those things, but... I'll I'll give you some of that, but I I, I just lack looking, of toughness I, I, was surprising. Yeah, I still go back to I, I I just think Xavier. I think they're that good. I do. Well, I think Xavier is a little bit of a buzzsaw right now, especially for you know mid major type teams. I, I'm not taking a shot at UC. I'm just saying they played Ball State and Morehead State, sandwiched in between there. So um, they they are obviously rolling over these opponents right now, and I I do think. Xavier's defense and what Jack Nungy has done to that in terms of they give him a he gives them a legit post defender who can stop opposing big men and at the same time because he's seven foot and slower and he has all that length they decided they had to stop hard hedging ball screens and keep their big men in the paint and play some drop coverage and lo and behold I think that's been the biggest key to fixing their defense all the way around is just keeping it tighter. They're much better at guarding the perimeter on three pointers. They're much better around the rim. They're rebounding better than they have at any point during Travis Steele's career. And I think Jack Dungey has been such a huge key. Yeah, but I, I knew they were going to be able to score. The, uh, the This other stuff, we haven't seen them do at any point during Travis Steele's career yet. And to me, that is, it's what he needed. That was the big key. He had to fix those things. And Jack Nungy, whether... It, whether Steele was going to do it or not, Jack Nungy has kind of forced that on them. Yeah, no, and and listen, I think you and I both were in the camp of oh, he's a nice added part. He'll, he'll he'll help some, but how much will he help? He's helped a ton. Yeah, well, I was talking to Mo yesterday uh, on his show, and I, I did say I think had Jack Nungy been almost anywhere else in the country last year, other than behind the National Player of the Year and Luca Garza, we would have known this was coming. Yeah, he maybe. would have been looked yeah, at as one fair. of the yeah, better maybe. big men in the right. country last year, too. Of course, he's had his injury history, and he got hurt last year later in the year, so there would have been all that to deal with. But Jack Nungy is a guy who can play, and he's been a guy who can play for a while. Because of his injuries and because he was behind Luca Garza, it stunted his development and you know limited his opportunity, but he he's a big-time player. Yeah, no, I, I will say I, I didn't go into the season with a lot of expectation for him, and I went to the Kent State game with a friend of mine early and again, it was Kent State, although they got some they got some dudes. Yeah, um, not bad. Um, you know, I, I came out of that game and he had a really good game. And I went, man, is it just because it's Kent State or is he maybe a guy that can give them a lot of something? And I think it's the latter, obviously. 
I don't have anything to get into here. I just wanted to report one other local score from last night that happened. Akron went to Wright State and won 66-48 with Wright State being a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, down in Lexington, the fans are growing restless after the Big Blue dropped their second game of the season, 66-62 at Notre Dame. The Cats will take on Ohio State and Las Vegas on Saturday before hosting Louisville on Wednesday. Two questions here, Skinny. One, do you think it's time for Kentucky to change its scheduling philosophy? Um, well, if they do, they're going to lose more games. Um, because <laughs> I mean, yes, I've thought that for a long time, to be honest with you. Um, but, I mean, this feels like Groundhog Day again. Um, my goodness, where would they be without Oscar Shibway? A I mean, disaster. Honestly, a disaster. And, and, and Saturday was so frustrating to watch. Because it felt like, and I know you've heard this story before, and it's one of my favorites. It's the the Kenyon Martin story from from the the year they were ranked number one and went to DePaul and fell behind. And Hugs took a timeout and he yelled at everybody and said, "If you don't give him a touch on every trip down the floor, you're coming out, and I may never play you again." And then the story goes: last second, Demar Johnson gets an outlet pass, and um, he's got to shoot it. The time's running down, and he's looking around. He's looking around, and finally. You know, they're yelling at him to shoot and he shoots it. And they're, you know, the question of him at the end of the game was, why didn't you shoot? He said, I was just trying to make sure Kenyon got a touch somewhere <laughs> along the way. And that's kind of what this game felt like. I'm screaming at the TV, get Shibway a touch. They were playing him straight up in the post. And instead of giving him a touch every trip, you get cats jacking up threes and going two of 19 on threes. And some of that you can argue might be fluky, maybe, maybe, because this feels like, again, Groundhog Day. But how they didn't keep getting that guy a touch. And then all the weaknesses start showing up. They played so far off Severe Wheeler, it looked like, go look this up for yourself, when Doug Gottlieb was a point guard at Oklahoma State, I still remember I was covering a Kentucky game. They were playing a doubleheader. This is no lie. They I love strays double- for Doug Gottlieb. Yes, I, I love know. it. So they, they were they were playing a doubleheader in New Orleans. It was Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky played Tulane, and Oklahoma State played LSU. So I got done with my work, and so I'm watching the second half of the game, just kind of just sitting there chilling, watching the Oklahoma State game. And I didn't know a whole lot about them as a team. Eddie Sutton was coaching them. And I'm watching them run their offense. And Doug Gottlieb would literally penetrate inside the foul line. And they were running some some really tight, low screen action for, I think they had, uh, oh gosh, what was the guy's name? Something Mason. Anyway, they were running a bunch of tight, low screen action for him coming off curls. But they played so far off Gottlieb, he would never even shoot literally like a 12-footer, Rick. And, and, and it got to be comical. I'm thinking, how do they even score when your point guard can't and won't even shoot a 12-footer? Well, until I saw Severe Wheeler, and that he's that guy. That's what teams are going to start. They're just going to back way off and go, you can chuck one up because it doesn't matter. You can't even make a 10-footer. Um, he's great at penetrating. He's great at creating. But if teams are going to dare him to shoot and he can't make a wide-open 12-foot shot, let alone a three, they're going to have a hard time scoring. Ty Ty Washington hasn't impressed me. Keon Brooks is in and out. Kellen Grady's in and out. Davion Mintz is in and out. He won't play Dante Allen. That's fine. He's made that decision. He's got to live with it. It is what it is. But but honestly, I, I don't have a, I, as much as I thought this team had a lot of upside when the season started because all the parts and the supposed shooters. I, I don't have a lot of b- great belief in this team at the moment. People forget Doug Gottlieb stole his roommate's credit cards or one of his at, classmates' at, credit cards at, 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 at Notre Dame. That's why at he wound up. At, that's why he wound up at Oklahoma State. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure we got that in yes. there while we we're throwing yes. out stray bullets for Doug Gottlieb. Yes. Uh, I, one thing that just drives me nuts going back to the scheduling thing is. There's no way for you to be prepared for a game like this if you're Kentucky. You, you've given yourself no chance to go on the road and win a game at Notre Dame when you schedule like this. Okay, first, great. first first road game of the season. Yeah, okay, great. You played Duke in what's essentially an exhibition on a neutral that, that, site to yes. start the year. That no, game's that, almost that, that, not even real. Yes, correct. Because No, that, it, it always feels like that, right? Of, oh, okay, yeah. 
this was fun, but we'll forget about this in another three weeks. I love that they play it. Like, it's great to open the season that way. It's fun for college basketball. It's a great game. I have no issues with them playing. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying you you can't really take much from it. It doesn't really feel real yet. And then you play, what was it, seven cupcakes in a row? Eight? Seven. Yeah, however many it was. There's no way for you to get ready for a game. like. I mean, you're not even playing teams like 150. They're all just terrible teams that you're playing that give you absolutely no idea of where you're at. They don't make you better at anything. They don't get your guys in the right frame of mind. And then, which they very rarely play a true road game ever, they go to Notre Dame and they get smacked by an average Notre Dame team. Average at best. I don't think they're a 500 team when all said and done this season. They might not be. They're not very good. No. I just don't think you can... You can legitimately schedule this way going forward and, but, and think you have a chance. I, I get but, it. Cal's bigger than the game and UK is yeah, so big. Blah, 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 blah. All that BS. At some point, don't you have to start worrying about winning games again, Cal? Recently this week, people have been putting your record up against Tubby's record at the same t- t- point. I don't know if you remember what t- happened to Tubby. You get chased out of town. And let me tell you something. The whole 10 loss Tubby thing got to be, you know, a, a, the running gag every year. But let me tell you something, dude. I covered those teams and they played people, man. They played Maryland on the road and Michigan State on the road and Indiana on the road and bring North Carolina in um, all in the same year. I mean, they played teams. Now, yeah, they had their handful of cupcakes. But hell, they brought Penn State in the one year when nobody knew who they were when they had the Crispin brothers and suddenly Penn State smacks Kentucky. And oh my God, how does Penn State come to beat Kentucky? And that was a Penn State team that got to, I believe, the Sweet 16 that year. So, I mean... You're even bringing it. That was supposed to be an easy game for easy games. Now are are, are high point and Southern and all come on now. It's and not to mention the fact that we've talked about before. It sucks to be a fan. You just played two months of basketball that were completely meaningless. That were no fun. The people who bought season tickets got zero value from it. What are you doing? Kentucky? What? Like, what's the idea here? I don't know, Rick. That's a great question to me. I, I don't. Is it him? feeling like he needs a month to, to mold his team together in, in what amounts to scrimmage games. It's I mean, is that what working. this is about? I, I'm not working. No, no, I'm, not, so I'm, I'm trying to logically figure this out. Or is it just, I just need some easy games because I don't feel, I don't want to feel the pressure for four months of this nonsense. I'm going to have to feel it when I get to SEC time. Well, it's not working. And the roster now is, again, it doesn't look like a very good roster. It looks like a jumbled mess. Yeah, well, and my biggest concern about this team is they flat out can't shoot again. Kellen Grady can. And Ty Ty Washington, I think, might need to shoot more threes, honestly, just to give their offense that aspect. I don't, I don't think Cal can win in t- today's game until he realizes that the three pointer is a major part of the game. It's a just go look at Kentucky's game. numbers; they're like three hundred and fiftieth in three pointers attempted. And can you imagine if you surrounded Oscar Shibway with shooters, or just, yeah, just two of them, even? Right, right. Like you, it's not like you need a team of shooters with the athleticism and the size that Kentucky usually has, but you got to have someone. You know who they really miss is CJ Frederick. Frederick. No question, he would play a lot on this team. Yeah, no question. But that's where I go back to. I, I know Dante Allen's got his issues. I do, but I also know the guy can make an open jump shot. And and at this stage, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of the defense for a guy that can make shots. Yeah, I, I get that. I can live with not playing Dante Allen because like CJ Frederick and Dante Allen. Two totally different players. You're getting a well, lock in guys who knows yeah, how to play on both yes. ends of the court, knows the system better than anyone. And, and CJ's and, and he's a better a, CJ's a better shooter too. Better shooter, but he's underrated as a defender. Yes, underrated yes. as a playmaker. 
Dante Allen really is kind of a one trick pony who no, I'm, I'm gives up you. a lot in other areas. So I'm noting you, but I, I don't think he really makes them better. I think he makes them well, a little who, bit different. So, so I guess on the roster currently, who does? I, that's a great question. And that's another major problem of Cal's teams recently is they're not very well constructed. Even this year, we went in and said, well, he did everything pe- people wanted him to do. He got older with transfers. He got more skill, allegedly. But it's still not enough. And at some point, I wonder, are you even playing to those guys' strengths? Are you even giving them a chance to be more skilled and show that they can shoot? Because right now, it doesn't seem like they really get any good looks from the outside. They don't attempt to shoot a lot of threes, and they're not running a lot of stuff to get their shooters open looks. It seems like a lot of attacking and here, we'll kick it out to you at the last second late in the shot clock and you fire one up or you fire up an early three because you feel like you haven't gotten any looks in the last 10 possessions. I I just don't know that they're built to even take advantage of the skill that they do have. And it's clearly not enough skill to begin with. So no. uh, what happens if they lose the next two at Ohio State and Louisville? Well, that's a great question. I mean, then they've got a high point to get themselves right. And then suddenly I think it's Missouri and then at LSU. Hello. I, I Look, I know... Fans, especially UK fans, get out over their skis and can be a bit ridiculous. I know UK fans are probably already at that point with Cal. You lose the next two games, I might join them to a certain extent and say, all right, something needs to change here. You got to fix this. I'm not saying you fire Cal. I'm not saying he can't coach or anything like that. But someone needs to step in and ask him to change how he's doing things. Well, I thought that happened last year after last year's disaster. I thought. We thought. Yeah, I mean, the Louisville game at home is one that's going to be, you talk about, especially if you lose to Ohio State, that Louisville game on the 22nd, you talk about a tense Rupp Arena, bro. Well, Louisville looks like they're a mess right now, too. I mean, Chris Mack looks like he's got his own issues. So you lose to that program, it ain't good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm noting you. Um, I, I don't know how good the league is, though. But I do know that I, I I don't know if I can trust them to go beat good teams. And they still got Kansas non-league on the road too. Back in, in 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 late yeah in late January. So um, I'm not writing yeah. them off. I they I'm not, can I'm not, still I'm turn not, it I'm, around, but they've got to figure some things out quickly. Yeah, I'm not I'm not either. Um, because it's not like Duke manhandled them and beat the tar out of them. Right. No, and this was again the only other them. game they've played that matters. Right. So right. You know, and and they were two of nineteen on threes, and I will say some of them were good, clean looks that you just go, "Hey, I got to take that." But some of it too was Oscar Shibway needed he needed to score forty points in that game because he needed to get a touch every trip down the floor. It needed to be the Kenyon Martin game for Oscar Shibway. Well, and and that's another problem with Severe Wheeler being out there and teams sagging off of him. It's going to be harder and harder to get the ball into Shibway. It's going to be harder for him to operate when he does get the ball because there's going to be all types of help defenders looming around him. Yeah. All right, Skinny, what are you looking for from NKU in their final two non-conference games at EKU and at Indiana before they head yeah. into Horizon League play? This question's always better for you, but have they got themselves have they got themselves a little right offensively? I'll ask you that. And 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 how and why have they? And listen, I know it's Alice Lloyd, but but what have they done to maybe get themselves a little more right offensively? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that they've done, and, and that's the right question to be asking right now, is Are Marquez Warwick and Trayvon Faulkner back to being themselves? Are you getting some flow and continuity on the offensive end? And I think what they've done that has made a difference there is they've shortened the rotation. They came in this year thinking we've got a lot of different guys that look pretty talented, that look like they can give us minutes. Let's see how much depth we have and let's see how we can use all this depth. 
and things weren't clicking at all. The offense was really choppy. Your best players weren't playing well at all. And I think they came to the conclusion that, you know what? We just need to go with our best, most experienced guys for the most amount of minutes and let them find their groove. And as soon as they started doing that, all of a sudden, Marquez work is going off for 30-point games again. And Trayvon Faulkner was out with a concussion for one of those games, but he's started playing well again, too, since he's been back out there. So I do think that they have gotten the offense back on track to an extent. Uh, there's still more to prove. Obviously, they've, you know, Alice Lloyd isn't telling you anything. No, but that I think that is the right question is, is the offense back on track and did shortening the rotation figure some things out? I think the answer is yes. They still have to prove that. Um, the EKU game is a perfect test for them because it's a team that's going to harass you full court for 40 minutes. They're going to play up and down. I say that's going to be like 92, 87. Yep. It's going to be a fun style of game, but it's also a team that's right about your level. You know, it's, it's pretty similar to the teams you're going to face in your conference. It's pretty similar to some of the games you've already played that have been really close. So have you gotten better from that four or five game stretch there where you played some good competition, you lost some close games, and then you kind of fell apart at the end when you went to Purdue Fort Wayne. Uh, have you figured it out? Are you better? This game will really show you that. And then you've got a great opportunity up at Assembly Hall to take on a, a high major team out of the Big Ten who's, who's playing okay but fi- still finding their way under a first-year head coach. It, that's that's always a fun opportunity. And then five straight home games inside the league, Rick, after that. That's right. I'm gonna, Some home cooking for me over the holidays and, and past that. So it'll be uh, good to – to play a lot of games at BB&T. They've been getting some good crowds already this year, so I think that'll be pretty good over the holidays. And I, uh, I'm i I'm interested to see where this team goes. I, I've got my eye right now on the forward position, that four spot, because David Bam just really hasn't had the start to his sophomore year that we thought he would after last year and after playing in the FIBA stuff this year where he was really good. He just hasn't figured it out offensively. He's in a little bit of a rut there. They haven't been able to play him as much. They tried Sabian Sims, the North Dakota transfer, and it doesn't seem like that worked out. Trey Robinson, who's another guy in that sophomore class, just hasn't really taken hold of the position, but he's had some good moments. Most recently, what they've done is they've moved Trayvon Faulkner down to the four. They've been playing a little smaller, him at the four. They moved Bryson Langdon back into the starting lineup, which has moved Sam Vincent off the ball and just said, all right, you are a stud. You're our best offense a lot of times, but there's a lot going on right now with you running the team and being the point guard as a freshman. Let's just simplify your game and say, you catch the ball, you attack the rim or shoot a three. Look to go get your points. And since they've done that, Sam has looked really good too and looked a little more confident and comfortable out there. So and, I and think you, they're figuring and, things out. Yeah, and you can get away with smaller in the league too. That's the thing. You can Absolutely. get away with smaller. Yeah, so. I'd play as small as you want in the Horizon League. There right. are very few dominant big men, especially now that Loud and Love has gone from Wright State. I I don't think that's an issue at all, especially when you're only talking about the forward position and not the five. Yeah, and and the fact that you've got a wing wing slash when he plays point guard, but 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 a wing in Vincent who's a functional long six five. Yeah, they've got some length at their perimeter positions. Now, obviously, you put Bryson Langdon in there, you're giving up some of that length at right. only 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but they've got enough of it at the other spots, and, and Trayvon's a good enough rebounder and tough enough that I think they can get away with that. Yep. All right, let's get to our betting segment where uh, I do want to mention last week someone called me out, said I didn't say our records from the previous week. He thought oh, we were trying to get away with what? a bad week. No, it, you're right. We were both 5-5. Five and five. It wasn't. Okay. We, okay. We, were, okay. we stayed tied up. We were both five and five. Um, and then this past week, I went four, three, and one. We had one push. 
You went three, four, and one. So I am now one game up on you. 90, wow. 84, and two. You are 89, 85, and two. That's funny. So we've got four NFL games here on our slate this week. We'll have all the bowl games to get into next week. But we start Thursday night, 820. Chiefs are a three-point favorite at the Chargers. 52 and a half is the total. All right, uh, this is such an interesting game because the Chargers seem like they're playing their best football, and now Kansas City seems like it's playing its best football. And with that in mind, I think it comes down to the wire, so I'm going to take the points. I'm going to probably bet the Chargers up to 3.5. I'm going to probably bet the over down to 50.5 to to get it to over 51, but I'm going to go... Hold on, hold on. Let me ask you something. You said you take the Chargers up to 3.5. What what do you mean? They're a three-point underdog right now. Yeah, I said I'm going to take them up to a three and a half, getting three and a half. Oh, gotcha. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want the I want the extra because I think it's going to come down to literally a field goal game. Um, but I'm going to go Chargers outright. I'll go Chargers, Chargers thirty, Kansas City twenty seven. So the Chargers in the over for me. Chargers and over. I I definitely think I like the over in this game. Fifty two and a half is a pretty big number, but I just find it hard to believe that these two teams, with the way they're playing right now, aren't putting up. 25 a piece at least and getting you to 50. Yeah, agreed. I, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's got and potential. Tw- I don't, and 25 isn't a football shot. number. So chances right. are you're probably right. over it. That's right. Um, yeah. I'm going to go chargers or uh, yeah, excuse me. Chiefs 35 chargers 24. So it's chiefs and the over for me Sunday at four or 5 PM. We've got Bengals at the Broncos. The Broncos are a two and a half point favorite in this one. 44 and a half is the total. Yeah, I think the same way. I'm going to probably bet this up to three and a half. Get the Bengals getting three and a half. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take a last stand that they get this win. Um, again, I'm going to take the self inflicteds out of it. Just stop hurting yourself, and you'll be just fine. Uh, Denver has 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 a nice attack if it can play from ahead because it wants to run the ball. It's got two guys with 700 yards, probably on a pace for a thousand apiece. They want the controlled passing game. They want to throw off of their run game with their play actions. But if the Bengals can somehow get the lead. I think it changes the complete complexion of this. And the Bengals have been really, it's goofy, Rick. They've been good on the road against teams over 500. They're 3-0. and uh, beat, beat Vegas, or teams 500 or better. Beat Vegas at the time. Beat uh, Baltimore. And uh, and won at, at Pittsburgh. So teams 500 or better, they're 3-0. They're and They've done a pretty good job in those games. Um, and so I, I'm going to take a last stand with them here. I'm, you know, this is this is the one to me that, that they got to have. I think they go get it. I'll go Bengals 20 Six, lots of field goals in the thin air of Denver. Bengals 26, Chargers, or rather Denver 22. So the Bengals in the over for me. McPherson from 62 at the end of halftime. Oh, I could definitely see that. I mean, you know, if Zach gets across midfield, he's just ready to run the ball three times and kick and a 50 to 60 yarder. I mean, that, exactly he is right. salivating thinking about that right now. <laughs> I would love to agree with you here that the Bengals figured out in a close game, but. I feel like this trend is going to continue. The Broncos have been playing pretty well recently. They played the Chiefs tough. I'm going to say 24-21, Broncos win and get the cover by half a point. So Broncos and the over for me. I will say I don't love that over number, um, even though it's only 44 and a half, but I'm just over it by half a point. So Broncos and the over. Sunday at 8.20 p.m., we've got Saints at the Bucks. The Bucs are an 11-point favorite. The total is 46 and a half. 
Do you think Tampa Bay can cover this big number? It's a big number, and New Orleans has a big weapon back, and it, it, it really helped them, I thought, in every way imaginable Sunday when they got Alvin Kamara back. And granted, they played, they played at, you know, it was just the Jets and all those things, but they went. Their defense played pretty well. They were able to run the football. Kamara was over 100. That takes pressure off of Taysom Hill to have to make plays because he can make them, but he can also make them for the other team like he did in the, the, the game before where he threw the four picks. Tampa giving up that lead to Buffalo. I don't know if I, I I give kudos to Buffalo for that. Maybe I should just because Josh Allen's such a playmaker. And, and then part of me says, well, Tampa's so good that they just got out to that lead against a good football team. And then it's just the NFL. You kind of coast. So I'm conflicted here. I, the number's just too big, I guess, for me. I, I'm going to take Tampa to win it outright. I'm going to go Tampa... Tampa 30, New Orleans 21. So Tampa or New Orleans and the over for me. Yeah, we're, we're right on the same page here. I, I said Bucks 28, Saints 21. So right on the same path. I really like the over in this game, um, but that 11 points just feels like a lot. Maybe 10, I feel a little bit different, but 11, I'm going to go to the Saints to come. Yeah, and, and that's where that's where I honestly, I, I felt like that number against Buffalo was, was extraordinarily small, the three and a half or four. And then all of a sudden, you know, it goes to overtime and Tampa still covers because they got the touchdown in the OT. But for the longest time in that game, I was kicking myself going, gosh, I wish I'd have played that. That number was stupid small. And then all of a sudden I look up, it's an overtime and you think, well, maybe good thing I didn't touch that game. And then they end up, you know, winning it anyway by the number. But this one just feels, it just feels too big. Yeah, I agree with you there. Monday night, 815. We've got Vikings three and a half point favorites at the Bears. The total is 44. We had Vikings defense down the stretch of that Steelers game sticks in my mind. I, I get that Chicago's Chicago's not good, but they've and, been putting up some points. Yeah, and and honestly, the fact they're a dog at home on a Monday night, um, you get a chance to derail Minnesota. Minnesota's been so stinking inconsistent, or inconsistent rather. Um, I know getting Dalvin Cook helped them, but I, I'm going to go with the Bears in an outright win here. I'm going to go Bears twenty. Seven Vikings twenty four. I'm on the over train this week. I'm going to go Bears Bears in the over. Although I I've got a couple of, uh, of of underdogs I've picked out right, so maybe I need to go money line on them and stay away from the totals. But I'll go I'll go Bears twenty seven twenty four twenty seven twenty four. So it's Bears and the over for you. I we we are both on all overs this week. Life's too I know. short. Bet the over. Yeah, I know it. I get it. Uh, I'm basically the same score here twenty four twenty one. For me, Bears winning. I thought I was going to have the contrarian pick, but this is a great stat game, Skinny. There's a there's a really good stat here, which right. is why I'm I'm taking this pick. We you we always talk about afternoon Andy, right? When Andy Dalton was in Cincinnati, couldn't yes. win the primetime games. You know what his record was on Monday night or is right now on Monday nights? Uh, one in nine, two and six. <laughs> Do you know who is exactly one in nine on Monday nights in their career? I'll say that would be Kirk Cousins. Bingo, buddy. He's even more afternoon Kirk than afternoon Andy <laughs> is afternoon Andy. He's awesome Sunday at one o'clock. He stinks if you play him in prime time, particularly Monday night. This is a Bears straight up win all the way. I love this. Uh, pick. I love it. Favorite pick all of right. the week. All right. All right. Time for some Ask Skinny Anything. And we've got a couple of good sports questions we'll start with. Obviously, we focus our attention and conversations on coaches that stir up controversy, either through actions or just personality. But who are some all-time good person coaches, Skitty? Uh, locally or just, just nationally or guys that we I've covered? They did not specify. I would assume 
you know, we'll probably skew guys we've had some interaction with because how else do you know they're a good guy other than Ed yeah. Cooley because everyone tells you he's a good guy? That's, that's right. No, that's a good That's a good call. Um, I'm going to start with a couple of guys I covered at Kentucky. I thought Tubby Smith was genuinely a good guy. Um, and I've told this story before, and it still makes me laugh to this day. Um, I, I would travel down there. You know, they only did pe- uh, press conferences the day before a game, and so that was your only access to the team. And um, so I would – Get done with my radio show, hop in, hop in my car, and, and haul, hightail it to Lexington to try to get down there by like a noon press conference. And invariably, every time, I'd race in there with about a minute to spare, only to have Tubby Smith show up at like 12 minutes after the hour. And so, um, you know, nothing to get ticked at. You know, it, it was what it was. So towards the end of one season, it was might have been the last the, the last press conference. It might have been during the SEC, right before the SEC tournament. And I told one of the SIDs, a girl named Mandy Polly, I said, Manny, I said, if you can somehow get him here, because we used to call it tubby time. He'd show up on his, it was tubby time. I said, if you can get him here at the exact time the press conference starts, I'll buy your alcohol throughout the whole postseason, however far Kentucky goes. She's like, you're on. And I said, vice versa. I said, it's got to be this next press conference or you owe me the whole post. She goes, you're on. So sure enough, he walks in the room at literally the appointed hour points at me he goes you owe her the whole postseason and I just laughed I thought you know what that's he did that for her that I thought that was actually pretty cool and he just was listen he was hard sometimes to deal with but I thought he was a decent person I really did I, I thought he was a decent person and I loved Guy Morris Guy Morris is probably the favorite coach I've ever covered um he was a briefly hit Kentucky's head coach ended up going to Baylor um he was just a guy you could talk talk to and and he knew your role and he understood what your role was he understood how to handle tough questions I just really came to like guy morris a, a ton all right there's two two good ones right there what is more likely to happen zach taylor gives up play calling duties to the offensive coordinator or taylor hell freezes over oh i thought our hell freezes over um that is a great question because i think that's going to be where we're at if this season disintegrates if it if you know they win maybe one more i honestly i think if they lose every game from here on out i do think he He's going to have to do one of those two things, or one of those two things is going to happen. He's either going to have to relinquish play calling or he's going to get fired. There's going to be some concession that's going to have to be made because if they do disintegrate down the stretch, some of it probably will be related to play calling. I think we would agree, right? Um, so, yeah, that that is a great question. If they if they finish this season out 9-8-ish and eight-ish or make the playoffs, then no, he's not giving up anything. But I do think there's the concession there of – uh, let's just let's go that they they win one more game and they decide to retain him because they did make some progress this year and they do have a roster that's good enough and still buys into what he's preaching. But you have to have some concession at that point. Usually it's an assistant coach you have to punt out the door. Well, I don't see that happening at this stage of the game. Um, but I think that's the next concession of you've done a great job as a head coach. The play calling, meh. Eh, it's not been very good consistently and near play calling, especially in a game really did cost us in that, uh, in that San Francisco game. So yeah, you're going to have to give it up. I, I, I think, I think that happens before he gets fired. I do. Aside from just wanting to be that guy, the, you know, the guru offensive play caller, all that stuff. Do you think it's scary or hard for Taylor to give that up because he feels like that's where his value lies. Like he was, yes. he wasn't brought in because he was an experienced head coach. He was brought in because he was boy wonder genius on the offense. He was the next Sean McVay. He yeah, was, a, but, he was going to be never, an offensive guy. He, the, again, I go back to the last time the dude called plays. It was at Cincinnati and they were and an disaster. And granted, listen, yeah. the roster was terrible and it was a bad end of the Tommy Tuberville era. 
But I just go back to what has he ever proven as a play call? Well, and, and he I think hasn't that's, that's proven fair. anything as a coach, right. period, really, at this level. Right. And that's why I think you go back to what is he hanging his hat on? And the answer in his mind is that he's an offensive guy. He's innovative. He's going to be the next Sean McVay type coach. And if he gives that up, then does it become a situation where, well, why would they even have me as head coach? Because I have no other credibility, even though I think that's untrue at this point. I think, I think he it has is too. proven himself I, as a head coach I, in other ways. I agree with that, Rick. I think he's absolutely proven himself as a head coach. I, I think him giving up play calling duties would show an incredible amount of self-confidence. Agreed. Agreed. And that doesn't mean you can't be part of the game planning of it. Of or course not. The, you have your hands the, in everything as that. Or coach. the suggestion part of it of, hey, um, I'm seeing this. What do you think about this call on the sheet? I mean, yeah. Um, but I, yes, I, I think that that would probably have to happen. Um, there'd have to be some concession if, if things go side again, they go completely sideways in seven and 10, then, then all bets are, are on the table, you know, whether he's retained or not, if they, you know, muddle their way to eight and nine, and maybe, you know, a couple of those losses are competitive and just, you know, you're just not as good as Kansas city, or you're not as good as Baltimore. Um, and the last game at Cleveland was on the road. Okay. I, I, I think he should probably be back, but there's gotta be some concession. And that would be one of the concessions I'd ask for. Skinny, I know you're not a huge entertainment guy. <laughs> did you watch the Beatles Get Back documentary? I, I did not. I saw the trailer for it. It looks fascinating, and I and I am I, I do want to watch it. Trust me. Um, I was talking to some some friends of mine that did watch it, some writer friends, and uh, I was in fact it was what was this two weeks ago? I guess I had the the CBS Morning News on after I, I get up at like six thirty just on my own because it's just a wacky alarm clock in my head, and so I flipped our news on, and usually I just kind of lay there and usually don't even get up till eight, but kind of listen to the news with my eyes closed. And I heard that come on and I opened my eyes. I was kind of foggy. And I looked, I went, is this, are they making a movie of this? Boy, that looks, the video of it looks really crystal clear. And then my, my best friend from Dallas came in over the holidays and he was asking me about it. He watched it and he just said, it was so fascinating to watch. Uh, he said, you know, you gotta, you gotta get through some of the, the slow parts of it, but all of a sudden you, you, you hear them piecing together the songs and all of a sudden you're like, no, get to the right word, get to the right word. There it is. You finally got it. Cause you know what, what the lyrics are and you can see them fighting to get to the lyrics. He said, that was the most fascinating part is they go, eh, sweet Loretta Montgomery, no sweet Loretta. What Let's uh, Martin. Yeah, that, that goes. And he's like the whole time, you know, Hey, come on now. You're going to get there. And he said, that was the fascinating. I thought the footage of it looked, look, it, it Literally look like they just did the thing in HD for goodness sake. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see it. I, I have not seen it yet, but I do want to see it. The only way sports journalists could be more obsessed with a documentary is if it was about Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> everything I've listened to or read this week has had some type of reference to this documentary in it. Like, Middle-aged white dudes are loving this. And it's it's funny. I'm not a big Beatles fan. My wife is. Um, I'm not. I'm a big. I'm a bigger Rolling Stones fan than I am Beatles fan. But I do think I I love documentaries in general. Um, I, I'm a big Ken Burns documentary guy. If I'm flipping through, he's got. The, I'm not a big country music fan, Rick, but his his country music documentary is just fast. His jazz documentary is fascinating. Um, I, I'm just a big documentary fan in general. I, I love history, and it's a big part of history. And I think it's fascinating. You you literally get the behind the scenes of arguably for many, the greatest group of all time, piecing together songs and albums and just the, the, the literally watching that in, in the real time of how it happened. And like I said, my friend and others have said, you're just waiting for them to get to the point where you know what the song is and you watch them try to fight their way through it. And finally it hits and you're like, there it is. And I, I, I love that kind of stuff. It's the best live concert you've ever been to skinny. I went to the stones in, 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 uh, in Rupp arena back in the eighties. Nice. 
Do you? I will say. I will. I will say. Um, I'm not a big Billy Joel fan, but um, we went. To, a bunch of us went to Elton John, Billy Joel in Columbus. Who was it? 15 years ago or so, they played at Ohio Stadium. That was pretty damn good. This is a uh, someone else asked this question along the same lines. Do you prefer the crowd to sing at a live show or shut up and listen to the performance? Uh, both. If, I mean, if the, if the if the if the performer asks you to kind of sing the lyrics and they sometimes like that, then yeah, I'm good with that. But no, I, I'd rather shut up and listen to the music unless they do. Hey, everybody sing. And there's you know, there's certain songs like that 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 everybody sings to. So, yeah, that, that part's fine for me. Yeah, I, I think I've really because I really only go to rap concerts. I think I would feel different about this. I, I like when you're at a concert and everyone's knows the words and it's a great energy there. But if it was like actual music, like if I was going to see Adele, I don't want to hear Hagrid next to me singing Adele. You know what I mean? Like, let me, let me hear the acoustics of Adele, please. Yeah. Not good call. You. So yeah. I, I realized I was like, I don't think this question is really meant for me because it's a little bit different if you're at a rap concert where everyone's just chanting essentially versus good call. if you're trying to hear like a really beautiful singing voice or uh really good instruments playing. Uh, yeah. I think that's, uh, kind of where I'm at on that. I've noticed recently that I'm I I'm getting old because I haven't enjoyed the last few concerts I've went to nearly really? as much because yeah because for what for what, re- for what reason? Do you feel out of place? A little bit of that, um more so of God, how long is it going to take for this person to get on? Like, you know, I, I, how how late do we have to wait for this thing to start? Well, you went, what was the one you went? Y- yeah, what was the one? Didn't you go to one at NKU where it took forever? Or was that the Chappelle thing? I went to the Chappelle thing at U.S. Bank, um, which that was too long. I've been to a couple concerts at uh, Thompson House down in Newport, which has been one of my favorite venues in the past to go to. And I saw acts I liked, but it was just like, uh, and then I'm annoyed by crowds recently it's like i'm getting old i'm getting old i'm becoming a little bit too much like you probably from doing this podcast i'm being honest and then lo and behold last week amazon has this spur of the moment one night only kanye west and drake collaboration concert that they sprung on us and it was streamed live on amazon tv and that was beautiful i loved watching it in my house and enjoying it turning it up at like 12 30 a.m on a random thursday or whatever it was so yeah, I think I'm just kind of getting old, but I think there's a huge business going forward for concerts being streamed on TV. I think COVID has opened the door for that big time. This is no lie. The the Bengals Vikings opener this year. I usually get to the stadium about two and a half hours before kickoff. A, I've usually got some other work to, to get done. And then the inactives come out 90 minutes before kickoff and then get a bite to eat with friends and just see people, all those things. So I, that was kind of my plan. And, and it was kind of cut short by about 30 minutes just because getting in the parking garage was a pain in the neck because it was crowded and getting through the crowd and getting checked in and all those things. And I literally, I walked into the press box, slammed my, my bag down. I said, you know what? I miss last year. I do. I hate fans. And it was such a bad thing to say. <laughs> I just, just the whole hassle of last year, I could zip into the garage and, yep. you know, the, get zip up to the place and, you know, not have to fight anything. It just, I, I felt awful for saying it. Everybody laughed at it, but I thought, golly, I forgot how much of a hassle this is. Yeah, no, I get it. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm getting old, I guess. Cause I, I understand that all too well now. And then, and then in this last game, there were these five little kids that were literally right below the plus press box chanting incessantly, let's go Bengals. And I actually knocked on the press box window at one point. I, I I don't know if they heard me, and I just yelled out, "There's no Santa." <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, well, how I, old listen, were these kids? Uh, probably at the age where they still believe in Santa. 
You're the worst. <laughs> but, but I mean, listen, you want to do it for a minute or two? That's good. Dude, they did it for like three quarters straight and didn't shut up. And the Bengals, half the time, there'd be a TV timeout. What is, what's the let's go? Shut up. <laughs> Just watch the game. That's beautiful. That's a great place to end it. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. Very good. There, and by the way, I'm sorry if there's any kids listening. Santa Israel. I, 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 just I, was, I was just to, joking about that. I, yeah, I just said that to be mean. It's, it's Santa Israel. <laughs> just remember that at all times. All right. Appreciate everybody you with just, the questions. I just realized that some guy is driving with his kids in the car right now listening to this, and you just ruined the holiday season yeah. for them. No, Santa, Santa, Santa's real. He's coming yeah, to my no. house on, the, on Christmas Eve. I'll put the cookies out for him and the carrots out for the reindeer. I'll, you better believe that. Santa likes scotch in my house. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen, but he likes it. You know, you might put out milk for him, but he comes to my house. He downs that scotch. He's a, he just, I think he enjoys that. It, it takes the chill off for, for Santa. So, I get it. Go. Hey, you got to deal with Rudolph all night. No question. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Sunday with the Bengals post game uh, edition of our podcast. And uh, it may be three in a row. We better hope not, or we're going to have lots of, lots of complaining to do. We'll see how that goes. Appreciate you listening. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.